Yeah. We, we didn't have recycling back in the day. Yeah, like they this, this, doing that. this new so era, we're being more yeah. conscious. All right, I got volumes, everything up, clean, good to go. So I'll just go ahead and let the good folks know that we are recording for a, another episode of For the Taste Show. Make sure that you follow at For the Taste on Instagram and go to www. Side note, it don't just make you almost feel like an old person when you do the three W's and actually say them out loud instead of just saying the, the actual link, but some folks need the W's. So www.forthetasteshow.com. Forthetasteshow.com to be able to check out past episodes. There's uploaded merch that's going on there in the next seven to 10 days. So you'll just see it coming soon on that spot, but be able to see any past content and any links to be able to advertise or any of the folks that we've had on our show and what they're promoting. So with that, bring along the good man that is on this particular episode with a little backstory. Many, many moons ago, back when folks had hairlines that were a little bit stronger, before we figured out the game, I was able to have a, a good run with this dude here. He actually taught me a lot during the process of going through the graduate program over at the University of Phoenix. So the, the best way to say it, you get out what you decide to put in. I ain't going to pitch bail to them for what they had going on with the different you know, lawsuits and such. But we made it work out for us to where it was able to advance folks' careers. I've been able to take a look from a distance at what the good brother's been up to. But he moved into a new role that has more of a connection to the local Las Vegas community. And he's got a sports background mixed in with just hustling and making some sales happens. I wanted to bring on the good man Damon Cross for this episode of For the Taste. Mr. Cross, how goes it for you? It's going good, man. It's it, like you said, it's been a couple years, and I mean, you, you you hit it on the head, man. Like not just University of Phoenix, life is what you get out of it, man. Gotta gotta put in the equity and the sweat, and you know you gotta take what you want from it. So I've been good, just trying not to go stir crazy because I am not built to be stuck in the house. But you know, this is the new climate. And the new, you know, era that we're in, unfortunately. So, you know, just making things work. Yeah. So, excited to catch back up with you. Definitely. I appreciate it. And you went ahead and just went into something that I've had to experience through in a different capacity how I work. But with you being in hospitality, working from home during these days, how has it been to be able to plan out doing events, knowing that you're inside trying to plan something that you can't necessarily get to? Well, that's been a little bit of a challenge for us is, you know, my new role, I strategically plan all the special events for the state of Nevada for, for the Anheuser-Busch brand. And, and as we talked about offline, you know, we've had some major events come that were scheduled that have been canceled. So, you know, the NFL being one, life is beautiful, know what's going to happen with CDC. And these are all fundamental events for not just my brand and my company, but the lifeblood of the city and being able to drive you know, tourism and gaming and spending here locally. So it's been a challenge for for us in terms of securing events because you just don't know what kind of restrictions you're going to have. I mean, personally have agreed with the phase system that's been implemented by the governor simply because I think we need to be a little more cautious about how we're um, allowing the gathering of, of individuals and the population. And Nevada has been lucky to not have been hit with the COVID-19 um, rates such as other other areas that are densely populated so for me it's really been kind of looking at different scale of events now looking at more hyper local um more events that you know are virtual in nature we did some, some partnerships with some social sports entities there have been some opportunities with esports that we're exploring the the big key is is looking kind of in that new space of 
you know, smaller gatherings that will create more of a localized um, and connection. Whereas before you can go to a Life is Beautiful or a large scale event and just worry about, you know, kind of hitting the masses. Now we need to be a little more strategic because these events are going to be smaller in scale and we need to make it more intimate in nature to connect with the consumer. That makes sense. And I think one of the benefits that Vegas will have is we've got enough properties throughout the city to scale up and scale down for events. You know, you think of some other cities throughout the country where they only have just their big arena. You know, they might have one club or, you know, 25 to 5,500 venue that would be of a great quality to potentially bring a new normal event to or even a concert event or anything because it's just not what they're used to. Vegas, we have that. And there's going to be a few other cities around the country. So could you give a little bit more detail into where you think that maybe the those type of venues are going to be more in play here in the next upcoming months? I think that it's it's really going to come down to what what restrictions there are on gathering sizes. It's too hard. It's too early to tell what what those what that's going to look like. To be honest with you, to your point, I think that you know if you look at what Vegas has become, we we have really transitioned away from small and intimate to really being large in scale in general. If you look at a lot of the, the new, you know, locations that have opened up over the last couple of years, it's it's been less about like a small intimate room. It's been like, hey, how can I have, you know, this massive space that can be dual purpose? You know, let's just take, you know, you look at something that, that recently closed, you know, chaos over at the palm. You know, they picked a space that virtually could run for 24 hours. You know, even Dre's is a good example of that, which started off as a small, intimate location, now made it so, like, it's almost like a 24-hour venue because now you've got a day party side, you've got all that stuff. So from that side of the business, I think that it's really too early to tell what's going to happen. And until we know what what restrictions are going to be there, we're not going to know. Now, I think we have the luxury from, from a performance standpoint. We have a bunch of venues that can that can really fill that void. You know, we've got several smaller scale theater type venues that can host smaller intimate concerts, but now we have, we've got two large scale newer venues. T-Mobile's not really relatively new, but it's newer in scale of less than 10 years old. And now you've got Allegiant Stadium. You know, we've got those. Um, you also got your your standard, you know, the old school Thomas and Mac location in San Boyd. It's just too early to tell, I think, in my opinion, to know what's going to happen. Um, but to your point, there's there's varying scale venues here that should be able to fit whatever those restrictions are. Some may be more challenging than others to facilitate some of those, but some of those will be a better fit. So that's kind of my take on it. I think that's what gives us that chance to be able to pick up on some stuff. That NFL stadium coming through with the Raiders, it does change up the dynamics of what Vegas can actually bring in. Because any of these reports that you're hearing from different reputable sports sites and general news sites that you know let's say it's an mlb or an nfl they'll say one east coast city and then they'll bring up vegas just because we have the buildings we have some of the large scale to be able to facilitate some of these operations if they were going to bring three or four teams at one time and it's amazing to think of that just when 12 years ago a lot of the city didn't know how it was going to reset itself so as much as they say that vegas is still about gaming which it is they have tried to diversify the image and the income of how the city's going to get by no, I agree there wholeheartedly. If you look at Vegas, and we've gone through some evolutions where the city was 
based on gaming and they tried the family outlet and that that didn't do extremely well and then they they rode the coattails of what happens in vegas stays in vegas or for a very extremely long time and i think they realize that there's a larger opportunity here to cater to not just the gaming community but enrich entertainment in general so then you started to have the residencies come into play and had go from artistry residency to DJ residency to now you have chef residents. And I think that our city is one of the few that's unique that can encompass all those in a very small footprint. I think that that's why we've been hit so hard with the COVID-19 outbreak and pandemic, if you will, is simply because our city thrives on gaming and tourism and entertainment. All three of those industries are virtually at a halt. So we, we have had to kind of stop what is our main blood flow. So I, I think kind of to your point, we, we've got some diversified opportunities. So now I think that the next question is, is how does not just Vegas, but the state of Nevada become more diversified in its local revenue stream. Um, because if something like this happens again, you know, how do we sustain the, the income jobs, just the nature of, of how the state functions and not be at a complete standstill? You know, you and I have been very lucky to be in a role where, you know, stay at home orders don't necessarily affect us. During the pandemic, people are drinking more beer than they do regularly. So for 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 us, it's, it's, it's still busy. Now, you know, we lose a big portion of of our outlets because, you know, the, the liquor stores are closed, you know, the bars and all that stuff are out. But I mean, they are, they are tearing, you know, big box retail, our large fat grocery stores and our convenience chains. They are just, they're blowing through product like there's no tomorrow. A lot of different things to, to, to factor in in that, in that statement. Yeah, it's amazing. The cost of eggs went up 16% for some reason. You can get a 12 pack for 20% less because they just floating out right now. But that's funny. And it, it's a, a way to be able to, to, when you see the city like you're talking about, that we're part of what they, I guess you would say, in some ways, essential, you know, functioning business that still, I think I'm seeing the city have a better opportunity to bounce back when they do diversify because our type of jobs, even when our parents came to the city, they weren't around. You know, it was almost 100% gaming and we're still going to always be gaming heavy. But I think with people moving from other cities that may not end up bouncing back the same way and their family might be lifelong contractors, the West is still going to always have contracts and you may end up getting those people to come here and they'll help slowly but surely try to help change the economy streams that are coming into the state. A lot of folks end up forgetting, though. About two thirds of the state isn't necessarily even owned by Nevadans. It's government land. So we're only really talking about the hot pocket of Southern Nevada and then the Reno Sparks area riding to the Lake Tahoe line. So there's two different areas that are diverse in how they can get money. And one takes in a lot more off of the game revenue than the other. Northern Nevada has almost like a different vibe to it when you go up. Fun fact, Reno might be the you know was the biggest little city in the world, but it ain't necessarily somewhere that I think I want to go to when I think of gaming. That's always going to be Vegas. But they do have a few other projects that are going on up in northern Nevada that are trying to bring in other lines of revenue. But it'll be interesting to see how it plays out through the state in the whole. I remember during the recession years that we ended up having a good chunk of Southern California people coming in when things started to bounce back. So it's likelihood that people get tired of paying those high taxes. Uh, you know, I think the big thing between Southern and Northern Nevada is just they're, they're two different they're two different communities. Um, northern Nevada seems a little more close-knit. It has more of a small-town feel to it when it's not necessarily a small town. Just people seem to be more intricately connected. Uh, you know, when, when we talk about the differences in businesses, you know, both are sustained and have the gaming industries and have entertainment, and both are, I think, primary revenue drivers is tourism. 
you know, when people go to northern Nevada, like Reno and Tahoe, it's, it's more of a leisurely vacation. Um, they're going up there to relax, enjoy the what the communities and, and more natural elements that are provided for those areas. You know, Tahoe is, is, is known for, you know, the some of the best ski resorts, not just in the country, but in the world. I mean, they've hosted the Winter Olympics. They've hosted x So there's some premier resorts there. And then you transition to the summertime, and it's some of the beautiful, most beautiful real estate you know, there is um, in terms of, you know, being out there in that natural element. Uh, Reno was just kind of always been, like, like you said earlier, the, the littlest big city in America. And it's it's one of those where it's a very unique space and, and people can go there and relax and they can get a mild taste of what they can experience here in Southern Nevada, but they can utilize the, that to, to kind of transition and, and, and relax. When people come to Vegas, they are coming really blow through some money and stress and in a very high intense, high energy environment. You know, this is, our city is pretty much extremely nonstop, you know, and there are very few places like that in the world. So, you know, you look at Vegas and, and people aren't coming to Vegas to, to relax. They're coming to ramp up, experience all of the top tier entertainment, fast nightlife, music, food, all those different things. I think those are the vast differences between different areas. And I think when you look, when you think about it, I don't know that anywhere else offers such diverse, but similar in experience, if you will, two different types of experience, I've hired leisure, but where else can we think of that offers those two things in such close proximity to one another? There might be certain cities throughout the country that might have a few of those items, but you've got to drive from an hour here to an hour there. Hell, even if you're in Southern California, it might take you three hours to get from the coastline over in OC to be able to get to Staples Center. And they're all within, you know, technically the same area, but it's not the same kind of experience. So Vegas has that advantage when things do eventually open themselves back up, brought up a point about that our city down here versus northern doesn't really sleep. And it was a couple weeks back I saw that you went out on a bike ride down on the Las Vegas Strip at night, and it was relatively quiet. So for folks that don't live in Las Vegas, how was it like to actually see what you saw while you were on that ride? It was very kind of eerie to see the Strip like that. You know, oddly enough, I've, I've seen the Strip that bare, and it's only happened one time. I went out to have brunch at um, Strip Burger with my aunt who was in town for New Year's. And we went on New Year's morning and we met at like 10 a.m. There was a, it, there was no one out there. That, actually, take, take that back. The one person we saw was we saw James Harden and his crew, which looked like they were doing the walk of shame coming from somewhere and <laughs> hanging out. But, uh, you know, um, back to the original point, it was quite hilarious. I mean, not quite, but quite surreal to see you know, the strip like that um, and be able to kind of go down and just kind of see the different areas. And, you know, the lights were still active, but you just didn't have the same energy. You didn't have, like, excitement was there. You just kind of felt like something's missing. You just knew it. You can you, Obviously, you can physically see it, but the emotional connection that you have to the city, like when I step outside and I drive out my community and I can see the strip, I, I'm in awe of seeing the designs of those buildings every time I see it never gets old. See those buildings and see what they are. Um, I, I never get tired of looking at them. But to see that, to know that 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 area was just kind of what it is. Um, and then also just the personal connection I have with that that work there. You know, that's their livelihood. I have in my industry. I've, I've I've become friends and and counterparts with multiple people across all the different companies that are down there. And to know some that you know they you know and, and Vegas is unique. You have 
seasonal workers that that bank on you know our our high tourism summer months to primarily fund their lives where you know they're you know they're virtually screwed right now because the a their their livelihoods impacted by the pandemic but also they don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work and they don't know what kind of scale they're going to go back on you look at the other side of the business where you know marketing and other entities and and all these companies are having to make massive workforce changes just to maintain the business model that they have, you know, and, and it's not to say that that's right, wrong, or indifferent. Unfortunately, that's the nature of business is, you know, you have to, you know, you have to make changes to kind of sustain the business model. And unfortunately, some of the first things you change within a company are, is your workforce, um, you know, and that, that's, that's, that's troubling within itself. So it's, it's, it's surreal to know that this pandemic has impacted us on so many different levels and not just from having to stay in the house in quarantine. Some people's livelihood is, is completely changed. Absolutely. And knowing that uh, they say the greater state of Nevada has about 300,000 people that are in the gaming space, I'm sorry. It just reminds me of some of the households that might be too casino households and just I tip my hat to those guys keep your heads up to those listeners that are going through those things I I will say when we do open back up there's going to be a phase even with the consciousness of casinos opening up in Nevada it's as much as we might put in the fail safes and do above the -the state-of-the-art industry grade requirements to be able to make people feel comfortable they still have to get here and they still have to feel comfortable enough to want to stay here and leave money here like you brought up how long do you think just even in a a ballpark would it take them a little less time than they probably are projecting well i mean from everything i've seen is there there are massive changes going into the casino industry where they are implementing social distancing measures and and limiting you know human contact in that in that space so i think that the the environments are going to change drastically uh, the one thing I do feel is because of the aura of Vegas, I think this is one of those few cities that when we open up, we're going to have a huge influx of people that have been chomping at the bit to get out of the social distancing and the quarantining mentalities. And I think that is where we're going to have to be very vigilant on managing that process so that we don't further increase the situational stuff. Uh, with the with the pandemic, I mean, like I said, our city is not our state has not been hit as hard as some of the other areas, and I think that a lot of that's because the local government was able to shut down the strip and the massive gathering um, locations as quickly as they did. So that that really helped. So um, I know that that's going to change. I, I think that we're going to get a very quick hit of people coming in. I think that will then plateau and level off. As, as different things changes, but I think it's really going to boil down to how the country reacts to the pandemic that's happening and how we how we level off on on the level of people that are getting you know contracting COVID nineteen unfortunately. So well, do you think I, I when hope, I hope it happens sooner? At, when the casinos do open up, do you think that they'll leave the nightclubs closed until basically the very end? I don't know that they. I don't know that it will be based on that. I think it will be really based on what restrictions are for gathering. So nightclubs are really essentially, you know, a, a, a great breeding ground for COVID-19 in that respect. Um, I want them to open. Personally, I have a lot of, of friends and, and professional contacts that are in that world, and that's how they make um, I think it also is a great outlet for people to be able to go and experience and interact. Uh, but I do strongly agree that we need to be socially responsible with 
how we're managing them. So I, I don't necessarily think it's it's going to be based on waiting for the last thing to open. I think it's purely going to be based on what restrictions uh, are there for for group sizes and congregation, and if that is, if there is a way for them to open those within you know respect to those limitations, I think they'll open those. But I think each of those entities wants to be responsible. No one wants to be the first to open and then you have a massive, you know, mini pandemic in your location. Right. And then that, cause that, that will be very hard to recover from. That makes sense. I mean, you sold me on it because at first, like, I, I don't know, I might think that it'll just be, we're just going to keep them closed until then. And of course I have that empathy for the people that are in that, you know, in the hospitality because we come from it. Uh, but I don't know. You sold me on the fact that it may just be depending on how the national cases look and not just from people just being overly conservative of not wanting to at least try to open them up. But we'll see. Now, I've noticed your path, like we talked about at the beginning of the pot, of you know coming in to that graduate program and being able to build our careers out since then. It seems that during that time, sales has always been something that you had a passion for. You tend to talk with people and you try to explain to them that the better salespeople, it's not something that you just learn. In some ways, you have to have that skill set and be born with it. And then you learn how to be able to craft it and make it better. What intrigued you to always you know, want to stay in the sales space? And what are your thoughts about people that say that they're not salesmen, but they tend to be some of the best salesmen? I think sales is, I mean, for me, I naturally fell into sales because I've always been really good at talking and understanding people and their personalities. So to me, the biggest key in being an effective salesperson is being a very effective listener and being able to understand what what your products and services are and being able to convey that to whoever your potential client is. And, it, and that takes a, a blend of being able to understand what their business is, what their what their KPIs are and, and being able to then translate what you have into something that could benefit their, their business. You know, so for me, I, I've always kind of stuck to that in the natural sense. You know, I've transitioned from when we met, I had gotten out of sports, but I was working in wireless, you know, as a, as a wireless representative for Metro PCS at the time. You know, my job was to go out to different accounts and, and help sell in our products and services. Well, that seemed very easy for me because all I had to do was like, hey, guys, here's an opportunity to make more money. Here's how you're going to make more money. And there's more margins here than the competitors. So that seemed very, very easy. You know, I left that position to go over to, to UNLV. And that became a little more challenging because you have underachieving sports teams that, you know, when you're selling, when you're selling sports products, it's all based on wins and losses. It's all based on attendance. And I went to UNLV when, when attendance trending down based on the level of success they had in the past, but we still were able to secure significant partnerships because we were really the only sports entity in town. Then, you know, transitioned over to, you know, full social sports and worked at USA Today and did national festivals, USA Today Wine and Food Experience. USA, their high school sports awards, and now transitioned over to Anheuser-Busch. So if I had to offer any insights to sales, it's really just understanding. You got to know who you are as a person. And really, like, when it comes down to it, you're selling yourself to, to your potential client. You're selling the fact that they need to have faith in you and your products and services that it's going to help move their business in the direction that they want. And a lot of times, a lot of people that are really good at sales, I don't necessarily know if they're good salespeople. I think they just have very efficient products. And the measure of a good salesperson is going in and selling a product that's not 
not a prime brand, not a driver in that respective you know, area and being able to be successful there. And that was one of the things that, that I was able to accomplish early on. But a lot of that was because I knew who I was as a seller and I knew who I was as a person. So I knew how to translate that information that was best for me being able to communicate that to who needed to hear it. I agree with knowing that there's going to be probably a, a job shift not only because of what's going on with COVID, but also because of the change in technology and industry, there's going to be more people going out there to try to create their own opportunities. And even if they don't believe that they have sales in that job or that creation that they're doing, there is a sales function to it. What would you say would be three core things that they should try to consider if they're going to go out there and be an efficient salesperson? B, know your strengths and weaknesses. Very essential to know those, um, to know you know, for me, I'm a really good speaker, and then I'm also very good at reacting to things on my on my toes. So when you get thrown some of those curveballs and those objections and hurdles that you have to overcome, I naturally am, find it easier to navigate some of those. That's not the case for everyone. So you need to be ready to, to be able to deal with those. Be, be a very effective listener, because a lot of times when you're, when you're in sales and you're talking to someone and you're not even pitching, you're just presenting the product, they will tell you what they're looking for. It's your job to then take what you have and transform that into what they want to hear for the pitch. So it's listening and really being an active listener because a lot of times when we're in sales, we're just waiting for certain keywords. And then automatically we say, oh, well, yeah, they said this. So now that my, my light bulb went off and now I like, oh, now I'm going to go pitch. And that's a lot of times why, why you, you go in there and you you might lose a sale because you didn't actively listen to what they were talking about. Um, and not just, and not just actively listening, ask pertinent questions. Like, you know, you don't want to ask the basic run of the mill questions. You really want to understand, like based on whatever products and services you're, you're promoting, you need to understand like what they're looking for. How does this change their business? And don't be afraid to be like, Oh, it's not a good fit. All right. Now I'm gonna keep moving. Um, and the last thing is, is, is you, you have to keep a level of dedication and confidence here because sales is a number game. You are going to get significantly more no's than yes ever. It's always going to be, I, I describe this as like most of our relationships in life. You know, if you think about it, it's, it's going to be quantity over quality. And what that means is, is you're going to have more relationships that don't work out in life Versus the ones that do that are quality. That doesn't mean that that's a negative thing. Just know that you're going to have, and in sales, how's that translate? You're going to have more no's than you do yes. But when you get those yeses, you need to make sure you're maintaining those because it is so much easier to maintain an account than to acquire a new one. So know that going into the sales game, people are going to tell you no every day. You may not get a yes every day, but when you get that yes, you take care of that yes. And then that yes then translates into other yes. Sales isn't built for everybody because some people can't necessarily take a no or they can't take having to deal with a counter and a pivot to be able to get to the final answer that they might need. So for the folks that are planning on getting into it, I wish you success, but just also be aware that there's a lot of skill that goes into it that you're going to have to make sure you attention to and consistently hone along the way. So I'd say spot on what you brought up, man. What would you end up saying to the folks that are residents of our city as far as a word of positivity as we try to get into these summer months of knowing what could be coming up for us being in the city of Las Vegas? I think the one thing I would say is, is I look at this as this is going to be a short-term sacrifice for long-term sustainability. And I think that oftentimes is very 
challenging in American culture. We have prided and celebrated on short-term successes and short-term growth. And with this now, you know, we have some people that are really fighting vigorously to open everything back up to business as usual. And I think we need to be, if we look at it, we need to be responsible socially for each other. May each of us is impacted significantly differently. And I understand that it is more challenging for others that are not working than it is for maybe someone like myself that has not particularly been impacted by by the pandemic. But I would ask that each of us stay stay the course and be responsible, um, not just for ourselves, but for our fellow Nevadans, that we need to be smart about how things progress because Nevada could very easily be just like New York and some of the other states that are significantly impacted by the pandemic because the nature of our local economy is based on large gatherings. And based, not just based on large gatherings, based on large gatherings and an influx of multiple people from multiple destinations, which is how this pandemic got spread. People came from one place, went to another, went to another, went to another, and that's how it's transpired and continued to, to grow. So I, I have really been happy with the strategy that our local government has implemented. Um, it is not favorable in everyone's eyes, but I think it has been socially responsible to do things the way they've done. We've seen some, we've seen the interview from the mayor and, you know, we've seen different things that come off that way. So we really need to be very vigilant on how we manage this because if, if we do this wrong and then you know, then the state of Nevada becomes pan, another pandemic central based location, will we really be able to recover? So in thinking of that hindsight, we have to look at, does it make sense to rush into this and get everything back to going? And, and hopefully that, you know, we, we have all the measures, but does it make sense to take our time and implement necessary changes that then limit the amount of risk? Not to say it's gonna stop it, but at least we've given ourselves significantly more opportunities to limit the amount of exposure that we have with this, you know, the pandemic to control what we need to do and keep us safe and keep us healthy. Because if we have that stuff in place and maybe some other things happen, maybe we have enough safeguards to protect us. And maybe we become the, the benchmark for whatever one should hide. That's what's up. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Good man, Mr. Cross. Uh, I said it before off air. It's absolutely dope seeing what you've done during that time where you're at. And in this new role, you're going to crush it. If there's anything that you want to let folks know how to be able to follow what it is that you're doing, any upcoming promotions, where would they go? So, I mean, it's interesting you brought that. I mean, seltzer is probably the largest growing category in alcohol industry in general. Something that we, you know, we, Anheuser actually was the first to launch a seltzer and just didn't think about it. And the competitors came in and swept by storm. So it you know, I, I have transitioned to seltzers. They're lighter, they're easier to drink, but I think that we've done some really good opportunities to grow. So for us um, right now, specifically for the Las Vegas community, we have partnered with our one of our wholesalers, Nevada Beverage, and partnered with Three Square Food Bank. Um, and it is a great opportunity where we are looking to sponsor 100,000 meals for Nevadans and need already sponsored 45,000 meals up front. Um, and it is a very awesome program. It's actually the first program I was able to create from start to finish in this new role. So I'm very excited about this. So for the months of May and June, any purchase of a 12 pack or 24 pack of Bud Light Seltzer will contribute to sponsoring six free meals. 
So I am excited about that opportunity. We are already at 45,000 meals just from us contributing opportunities up front. And we're looking for local Nevadans to come in and help us support and rally behind a, a really good cause. I hadn't really, se- I've seen a lot of charitable programs. I hadn't seen anything that really just geared towards common Nevada. And I've seen a lot of stuff geared towards the, the on-premise account, um, the retailers that are struggling, you know, the people on the strip, that community that had not, that has not been effectively been able to work. So I wanted to build a program that was able just to, just to support the common person, you know, and, and obviously everyone that I just mentioned that has support programs, they're eligible for this as well. But I wanted to make sure we had something that was, that was for the average Nevadan that is struggling and may have been struggling before the pandemic. And now times are even harder. So we wanted the program to kind of come out and roll out. So this is an opportunity for us to, to feed 100,000 people. Um, just to be clear, all that any Nevadan has to do is go to any of their local stores or liquor stores or grocery stores, purchase a Budweiser hard seltzer, and it'll automatically go in to that pool to feed six additional meals yeah. to the city. Yeah, it's a, it's Bud, it, you, it'll be the Bud Light seltzer, and you just go in and buy a 12-pack or a 24-pack at any any of our local retail outlets in, in the city, you know, Las Vegas, Henderson, North Las Vegas, any of those respective areas. Any purchase of a twelve or twenty-four pack, you're you're providing six meals for 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 somebody in need. So it's pretty easy. All right. Well, normally these pods go up on the weekend, so when somebody ends up hearing this part of it, instead of going to go grab whatever they were going to grab, give a good cause, get some of the hard seltzer, good folks, the Anheuser Busch uh, marketing campaign, and help feed some people in the city. I mean, six meals is a lot for you just to be able to go get yourself a twelve pack. So that. You know, salute. I will buy a 12 pack. I'll probably end up, you know, giving 11 of them away. I'll try one. I'll, I'll try one, but it'll be for the greater good to at least be able to feed some folks in the city. Mr. Cross, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your effort. Continue to be an outstanding example of how to be able to make yourself do great things in the city of Las Vegas and have a national impact along the way. So until the next time I can catch up with you and until the next time we speak on these airwaves and on this pod, I appreciate y'all's time. Go listen to past episodes on For The Taste Show at ForTheTaste.com and follow at For The Taste on Instagram and on Facebook. CJ signing out. Appreciate y'all. Yeah.